Thank you for joining the podcast. I do realize there are so many options available and the fact that you chose to listen to this podcast means a lot to me. My name is Sharon Feckety. I am the host of the Dr. Whisperer Show. I am also the founder of the Dr. Whisperer. So basically, I am the Dr. Whisperer. We are going to navigate through the business of medicine together. We're going to feature some doctors, some healthcare attorneys, some patients, some practice managers, people that will help you navigate through this industry. So thanks for joining us. If you are enjoying the podcast and you think somebody else could benefit from it, share it with them or write a review or both. Thanks again. 2021, we're coming for you and we're going to get through this together. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm so happy um, to bring Perry List to all of you, who I had the great pleasure of interviewing on my other podcast, The Broken Road to Mental Health. We share a lot in common, both on this amazing road to recovery and and both in business. So I'm going to bring Perry on in just a second, but I wanted to mention that you know he spent uh, 10 years as an attorney with his own practice, sold the practice. And um, I'll let him fill you in on some of the rest, but is now just uh, a few steps away from gaining his master's and will be practicing integrative recovery for co-occurring disorders, which, um, listen, we're talking about freedom this month of July and freedom to live your life in a manner that is best suited for you and freedom to do business the way you feel uh, brings a purpose to your life is really um, what this is all about today. So Perry, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to learn more about your, you know, this conversation goes on all the time with doctors and I about how you might've thought going into med school, maybe it was your parents that pushed you or, you know, everybody else wanted you to do it, but mm, they weren't really so keen on it. And then, they make decisions to do other things that benefit their lives. So wh- what was your journey like to becoming an attorney? And then I want to, I want to get down and, and talk about some of the nitty gritty with why you've chosen this career of helping others, especially attorneys. Yeah. So you kind of nailed it with what you said about how a lot of doctors probably started in medical school. Um, I, I intended on working on wall street. I was a finance major at Penn state, had a job lined up uh, in New York at a hedge fund and Drexel Law School, Drexel University Law School in Philadelphia was opening as I graduated from Penn State. And so they were offering full scholarships. They were advertising for it a lot in Philly uh, if you had a certain LSAT score and a certain GPA. And so my parents were adamant that I have to take the LSAT. And so I took it. I got the score. I applied and I got a full scholarship. And in my mind, I still was like, I can't really pass up that money. I really (laughs) want to go to New York and and start making a lot of money in my mind. I'm going to be making a million, you know, by the time I'm 25. Right. Uh, so they were insistent on me going to law school. You can't pass up a free law degree. You can always go back and do Wall Street afterwards. And so I went that route. And, you know, once you're done, once you put in those three years, it wasn't like I was going to say, well, now I'll do something else. I had to give it a shot being an attorney. Right. And you do it and you're successful. and you just kind of keep doing it. So that's how I ended up doing that. Yeah. You know, and I think that, well, of course in the medical community there, I do have a lot of physicians that tell me once we start working together, you know, this really wasn't what I wanted to do. I hear that all the time. 
And then when you get into medicine or when you get into law, you think it's going to be one thing. And then it turns out to be something maybe entirely different. I would assume that you felt some of, you know, once you started, you were like regretting that, oh my God, yes, the money is great. The prestige is great, but is this really what I want to do with the rest of my life? I mean, what was, what was it like? Cause you came out and opened your own practice. Yeah. I think for me, maybe differently from doctors who they have to train a lot longer than, than we do. So I opened up my own practice right out of school. And the first few years were hard because I didn't know what I was doing. So every day I felt like I'm going to screw something up and they're going to take my law license away from me. I remember my first jury trial I did when I was 26 years old, which I had no business doing. And I, in my mind, the night before I'm laying in bed, I couldn't sleep. And I was really thinking this judge, his name was Judge Cunningham, is going to call me in his chambers and he's going to take my law license away from me. <laughs> what I was thinking. And ultimately I won that. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence that I could actually do it. But most mornings I would get up and shower and I would have maybe not anxiety attacks, but a lot of anxiety in the shower. Like today is when everybody's going to figure out that I'm just faking it. I don't know what I'm doing. And so that was hard. And then for the next couple of years after that, it got easier because I knew and I kind of fell into a certain role. I was doing a lot of tenant rights, rep, tenants rights representation, and I was good at it. And, uh, and I felt like I was helping people. So I, I kind of enjoyed it. I still didn't love the work, but I was doing well. Like you said, there's prestige with it. I, I own my own business. It impressed people. I was winning awards, all the stuff that used to matter to me. And uh, it, it wasn't until after that, as I tried to grow the business and do bigger uh, cases that paid more money, that's when I started to really dislike it. Just, I felt like I was doing it for the money. I wasn't helping people anymore. I didn't like a lot of my clients. I didn't like the lawyers I was going against and I didn't like myself most days. So, mm. so that imposter syndrome is real. Um, I think there's a ton of us that go through that when we start out in business, that somebody's going to find out that we don't know what the hell we're doing. Um, but you know, that's really how most people start out in business. We're like, we're just trying it for the first time. Yeah. So, um, I think that, you know, I talk a lot with the physicians that I interview on this show and in within my client world about burnout and the stresses that having your own business can bring. So, um, I know that you are very open. Um, Perry has over 80,000 followers on TikTok. You should follow him. Um, it's Sober Dad. Is that your handle? Sober Dad of three. Sober Dad of three. And three little ones and three adorable little ones. And um, I found Perry because I love me some TikTok. It got me through the panorama. Uh, I spent all of my time watching incredibly entertaining humans. And of course, because I'm sober uh, a long time, I, you know, uh, the algorithm is real and uh, I came upon your wonderful platform. And what I love about, you know, having this conversation with you, Perry, is that, you know, in business, we have to do certain things, right, that we might not love, but you've been able to, to take now the experience that you had as somebody struggling with um, addiction um, and now turning that that pain into a purpose. So why don't you let the audience know a little bit about what the journey has been like um, to where you are today? Yeah. So uh, like you said, I, I was a, an attorney for 10 years, 
through uh, summer of, of 2019. But for the last, I mean, I would say it was about two years that I was addicted to cocaine. And I would say it was more like the last maybe seven months. So, so most of 2019, where I wasn't really working anymore, I, I was uh, really uh, in a bad place in my addiction and in life. And it didn't matter anymore that I was making money and I had the business that I thought that I was uh, going to be happy growing up to because, you know, now I'm the, the manager, I'm the boss. So I don't have to do the annoying legal work that I used to do. I'm just going to manage everyone else and bring in business. And uh, no matter what I did, no matter how much money I made, it wasn't making me happy. And then, mm-hmm. and then I was also at the same time starting to experience a lot of anxiety. Um, so between the anxiety, unhappiness at home, depression, whatever you want to call it, and my cocaine use, it all kind of spiraled out of control. On top of the fact that I, we had a third child as I was growing my business and we had to buy a house in the suburbs and everything just kind of hit me at once and I lost it. I, it happened so, I would say it was a gradual thing, but it also happened so quick where I went from, yes, I'm doing cocaine, but I can kind of manage my life to I have no ability to manage my life anymore Hmm. where I needed to acknowledge the first step of AA which is I'm totally powerless over this and I didn't acknowledge it for a while I thought I'll snap out of this I'll overcome it I've been able to deal with everything else I've been through and the fact is I had never been through anything like this and this Hmm. and cocaine addiction or alcoholism whatever your addiction is is not something you can overcome on your own you need help and so August of 2019 I went to rehab uh, stayed for a month and uh, it was there. It was the best decision I ever made. First mm-hmm. off, so I went to Karen treatment center uh, right outside Reading, Pennsylvania. And there I met a guy named Link Kristen who really changed the course of my, my professional life, my life in general. He was an attorney for 25 years in Pittsburgh, a big time personal injury attorney, also an alcoholic. And when he got sober, he got his master's degree from the Hazelden Fort, uh, Hazelden Betty Ford graduate school of addiction studies. And that's where I go now. Right. Uh, so when I met him, that's when I really found out about this other option I had in life. I didn't really know how bad of a problem addiction, alcoholism, depression, and anxiety were in the legal field. Mm-hmm. And he opened my eyes to this and I'm reading these studies and I'm talking to him and seeing what he does. And he's one of a handful of people in the country that were an attorney and alcoholic or an addict, got this degree and now treat lawyers. And I said, I can do that. I have all these skills and I've been through all these things. And I think I would actually genuinely enjoy helping people deal with everything that I've gone through the past few years. And I, so, and I thought it would make me happy. And I thought that it would help keep me sober. So I decided midway through rehab that that was going to be my new path in life. Uh, I was also on the pink cloud, which if you're not an addict, you might not know. It's like when you're first sober, you, it's, you're basically high on life. You're high on your new sobriety. And that's where you I was. So, you notice birds? Yeah, exactly. Birds. Uh, so I think my parents may have thought I was just talking or maybe even my counselors in rehab or my now ex-wife, then wife. But I was serious. I really was. And I never looked back. I, I've done everything I said I was going to do. I went to, I'm going to that school. I have a 4.0 GPA. I'm going to graduate number one in my class. And I did, the, I did an internship at Karen where I treated nice. lawyers and actually doctors. I did the healthcare professionals unit, so I can speak about that. Um, and now when I graduate, I'm going to open my own 
therapy practice treating specifically lawyers in the Philadelphia area uh, for those things, addiction, alcoholism, depression, anxiety, whatever else they go through. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I also teach a class at Drexel Law where I went to school about mental health in the legal field. And so- I'm so excited. I am. I'm so excited about this. Um, I said on the, the last time we spoke that I have so many friends that are attorneys that, you know, will be watching this show um, because I realize how much stress is in their lives and how some people turn to, you know, drugs and alcohol and the, the suicide rate for physicians I know is incredible. Um, and I know that it's, it's very similar with attorneys. So to know that, you know, you can have people that you're going to be helping um, relate to your own practical experience and your, your lived experience along with that degree is just wonderful because that identification is serious. Um, and I'll, I'll share before um, we continue on about your, your new journey when I met my father's EAP counselor in New York hospital, I've been through so many therapists, right? You know, that's what happens when you're a drunk, (laughs) you go go to inside counseling, outside rehab, whatever. And, um, and I had visited a few, I was a regular. And um, by the time I got to this guy, Ben, you know, there was something so different about him. And, you know, he was a heroin addict and, although I didn't do heroin, I smoked crack and, you know, he was on another level that would have been next. I related to him so much and he helped me so much because he really had that, that lived experience. And I, I do believe that when we find people that really understand where we've been are, you know, the way that you can help people is just mind blowing. I'm so happy to hear that you're going to be doing that. Thank you so much. And I agree. I, I don't know if everybody who's in therapy agrees with me, but I thought the counselors that I've had, therapists that I've had that understand addiction firsthand, that have been through it, either, even if it's just like their child or their parent or seen it firsthand, lived it, as opposed to read about it in a book, I do think that there's a difference. And I don't mean offense to any other therapist who hasn't been through it. I'm sure you can be great at your job without doing that. But I think my firsthand experience of being able to not only empathize, but completely relate to whatever the person that I'm talking to, whatever they've been through, I've been through it too. So. And you can call bullshit. Yes. <laughs> because you, you know, you've had your own bullshit. <laughs> I was full of bullshit for right. years. Yes. Yeah. I right. try not to lie at all anymore. Uh, I think I do a good job of that, I, but I was full of bullshit for, for quite a few years. Yeah. So what, so what does it feel like now, Perry, to, to know that, I mean, you gave up this incredible, you know, law firm, your sober dad of three, um, you know, what is it like to, to have the, the freedom, although maybe in the beginning it didn't feel so freeing to, to, to be on this new journey, to be a single dad, you know, what has it been like? And then to know that there's like this really great light at the end of the tubble, tunnel that you're going to have this new career as well. What is, yeah. How does that feel? Hey, quick interruption on this amazing podcast, but we have to tell you about our awesome sponsor, Thai Technology. They are so cool and they're here in Tampa Bay. If you're a Tampa Bay listener, Thai Technology is the best voice over IP business phone service company out there. How do I know this? I used to work in telecom before I work with doctors. That's right. So I know me a good phone system when I see it. 
Plus, they are integrated with Zoom. They are the only ones that are integrated with Zoom. And if you mention this podcast or you mention the Facebook show, they're going to hook you up with three months for free. Follow them on Facebook and on Instagram. Thai Technology Rocks. So there was a point where I thought I... I had all the answers to the questions I had growing up, like who's going to be my wife? What are my kids going to look like? Or how many kids will I have? What am I going to do for a career? Will I be successful? And I had all those answers and I was miserable. I was depressed and anxious and doing cocaine and drinking and hiding from the world, uh, trapped in bathrooms or in casino or a strip club. And really just isolating from, from everyone, not just my wife, but my parents and my friends. And uh, I was in a really bad place. And so I got stuck in this thought process that this was going to be my life forever. I was stuck in this cycle of depression and anxiety, use cocaine to self-medicate, come out the other side, more depressed and more anxious, lie about it and do it again. And it was every day, almost every day. And I didn't think really I could ever get out. And I got to the point where I didn't, I was never suicidal, but I didn't care if I lived anymore. There was nothing, I was, there was nothing to look forward to. I didn't really, I didn't even enjoy the things I used to enjoy. Sixers playoff games or going golfing or going out to dinner with my friends. I didn't enjoy anything anymore. So life was, I was unhappy. And so the only thing that kept me alive uh, or, or wanting to be alive was my children. I had to be there for them. And so coming out the other side now, being sober, I've been in recovery for two years. I've been sober consecutively for 13 months. Um, I had a little relapse in, in the middle when I got separated. But having the sobriety now and pursuing something that not only do I think I'll be monetarily successful in, but even if I'm not, I'll enjoy on a daily basis. And I think that your personal relationships and what you do for your career on a daily basis, if those two things aren't making you happy, there's no amount of money or no toys or clothes or whatever that, that are going to fill that hole. And that's where I was. So now I, I think I have those things or I'm on the way to having those things. Um, and I'm certainly a much better father and son and, and friend and brother and all those things for that. And, you know, I'll hopefully have a great relationship one day where I can be that to somebody else. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I think that um, when we get to do what we love, we do it so much better. Yeah. <laughs> and when we're healthy in our minds, you know, and healthy in our bodies, we, we can achieve so much. Um, I want to make sure that I have an opportunity to, to help the audience out there if there is anybody um, in the medical profession, whatever profession that you're in, um, you mentioned that the Karen Foundation has, you know, they have separate sections. How do you, how does it, what does it look like for people that don't understand what the Karen Foundation is? You said you did an internship um, for healthcare professionals. So what did that look like? Yeah. So, so Karen Treatment Center, their, their main their main treatment center is in Wernersville, Pennsylvania. It's right outside Reading. And there's a an executive unit, which basically is people who pay a lot of money to be there. It's like right. <laughs> $1,000 for the month. That's not where I was when I stayed. That's where I, I did my internship. But so there's that. Then there's the regular men's unit, regular women's unit. There's the opiate unit, which is, I guess, a different type of recovery. I 
didn't have an opiate problem, thank God. Mm -hmm. I do think that that's more difficult to recover from because mm -hmm. of the physical need, the physical addiction on yeah. top of the mental addiction. Um, and then there's a healthcare professional unit and it's men and women and it's all people in healthcare, doctors, nurses, dentists, um, I think psychiatrists, anybody in the healthcare professional field and they all treat together in one separate building. They're not with the other regular general population of rehab, I would call it. Uh, and so I, I did a lot of work with them and they have uh, more, I guess, specialized things. They, they talk a lot about their, their career and about specific personality traits uh, for doctors that maybe are different from the other people that are there. I think lawyers and doctors share a lot of personality traits in that sense. And so I can relate to it. And when I was treating those people, I could relate to that. So I would talk to them about burnout and about work-life balance that I think uh, the more successful attorneys and doctors don't have great work-life balance, if any, at all. And I think you really need that to keep your your mental health and happiness. You can be successful with work. I'm not saying you can't. You can put in those 80 hour weeks, 100 hour weeks, whatever you're going to do. But I can't imagine you're going to be happy and your spouse and your kids and your friends, they're not going to be happy because they're never going to see you. So I think you have to maintain some semblance of, of work-life balance to avoid burnout and to maintain good relationships and good mental health throughout your career. Totally. All right. So um, as we wrap up today, I want- um, be that soon? Come on. I know. It's always so quick. I feel like they're, you know, everybody's attention span is like a flea today, Perry, you know? That's very true. Well, TikTok is a, a minute to three minute video. So I right now that they're three minutes, I'm like, I don't know if I could watch three minutes. <laughs> I hear you. I try to live mine to a minute. Right. It's, it's incredible. So well, so let's let's wrap it up with that. Um, you and I discussed the last time we talked about how, you know, I own a social media company too, right? And it is very um, difficult at times to help medical professionals and a lot of professionals understand the power of social media. And for your own business and this new career, I mean, I'm, I know that you never thought that you being sober dad of three would also be able to help bring attention to this new uh, life and this new business that you're you're going to be running. So why don't you why don't you talk a little bit? You have like over two million people have liked your videos, and and yes, you have adorable kids, but you have this great opportunity to talk to people um, and help them about you know their own struggles with mental health and addiction. So what does social media mean for you in business? You're so right. I, uh, I definitely never expected that. It's not why I joined TikTok. I did, I did it for the same reason you did. I had nothing left to watch on Netflix and Amazon Prime during the pandemic. I watched everything. I'm a big sports fan. There was no sports on. So I went on TikTok for entertainment and it's great. There's there's informative videos. There's cooking videos. I learned a lot of recipes I cook for myself a lot. I'm, I'm a good cook um there are ones their videos that make me cry the military homecoming ones like always yeah, me. and uh and so i would just watch and and so finally i started making a couple and they had no views no nothing you know mattered that i was putting out i was doing it for whatever for my kids they like doing it mm -hmm. and then i made one video back in december um that blew up i still don't know how that happens i don't understand the algorithm but all of a sudden I posted this video. It's a minute video of me and my, my six-year-old. He was then five miles. We were talking and 
Next thing I know, I look at TikTok like an hour later because I don't get notifications that buzz on my phone. I, I look at it and it already had 200,000 views and I had 5,000 followers and, and it didn't stop for weeks. And I, I and ended at about three and a half million views. I got up to 25,000 followers and then I just said, you know, I'm going to keep going from there. And I've been making videos ever since. And my mindset was, I'll make videos of me and my kids because they're funny and heartwarming and cute and whatever. And I know that can draw attention. And so I'll get followers that way. And in between, I'll intersperse it with videos that talk about addiction and mental health and therapy in general and, and anything I thought I could help people with. So I do that. And those videos get less views, obviously, mm -hmm. but I keep making them. And as I go on and continue to get more followers, like you said, I'm up to 80,000 now, I'll make more of those videos. And I'm going to try to use it as a tool for my business, which will start in January when I'm done my master's. So I will try to do daily videos about whatever, depression, anxiety, addiction, alcoholism, going to rehab, or how you talk to uh, a child or a friend or a parent who you fear is having a problem with addiction. Uh, anything like that where I think I can, can help people. And you know, hopefully those will start to get more and more views. Uh, I also think just in, in business in general, you have to use social media as a tool because the younger generation I'm 37 already, but anyone, I grew up with the internet and now the people that are 10 years younger than me grew up with Facebook and then with Instagram and now TikTok and, and that's where they get their entertainment and they get their news and their phone is in front of them all the time. So if you want to have a growing business specifically over the next, let's say 20, 30 years, because you're going to need people my age and younger to, mm -hmm. to treat with you or to buy whatever you're selling you need to be, you need to have a presence there, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or all of them, preferably um, mine's only on TikTok, but you know, I'll try to get on the others eventually. Uh, but I think it's, it's a necessary part of, of growing and maintaining a business now. Well, yeah. I mean, you said it, it's all about attention, right? So like, actually nobody gives a shit who you are when you start out in business, but if you can start a business with already having 80,000 followers, it's, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And I think that um, one of the things about TikTok that I bring up all the time, you can imagine what my life is like bringing up TikTok to doctors. I mean, Jesus Christ, oh, I had to take a breath. Um, <laughs> you know, of course they think it's dancing. I'm not going to dance, Sharon. Well, Jesus Christ, I haven't danced. I don't dance on TikTok. I mean, actually I did once, but um, it was bad. But you do it for educational. I mean, I ride my bike, you know, I, all my TikToks are about me being on a bike and just motivational things to make people feel good. Um, but I'm, I'm on all the platforms. You have to do this today in business. There's absolutely no way around it. And um, I asked somebody on a live stream yesterday on TikTok, I'm going to ask you the same thing. What, what was it? What would your advice be if somebody wants to start out on TikTok? What would your advice be on how to get started? I think that you make videos that you like. Don't try to cater to everybody else. Do what you find enjoyable or funny. When I'm editing a video, which is difficult. I, I wish I was as lucky as one of these 22-year-old girls who are just pretty and they stand in front of the camera and they have millions of views just standing there. I got to edit these videos for like two hours. It takes so long. Um, and so... I would say when I'm editing them, I'm looking for like what makes me laugh or what I would want to watch. And I put out that kind of content um, mm -hmm. because 
I think if you try to cater to other people or do stuff that doesn't feel authentic to you, it'll show. And I think it'll be harder to, to get a following. You, you have to be patient. It's not going to happen right away. That viral video that I made, that was an accident. I didn't intend to make a viral video. Uh, and it's probably few and far between. I, I've had a couple others that had a ton, but no, nothing like that first one. Um, so I would say just be patient stick with it and make stuff that you think is authentic to you and enjoyable or informative, whatever you can go either route or you can go both. I try to do both enjoyable to get the views informative to help people. Um, but, but pick one, you know, take the time to do it often and, uh, and stick with it. And I think that if you, if you make good, good content, people will eventually look. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's all about authenticity and consistency, right? If you're not consistent with doing it and, and understanding that it's going to take some time, and even when you feel like an absolute schmo, you know, I have an attorney friend um, in Tampa that I laugh because I know he, he's cursing everybody that told him he should do this, but he's doing like a Facebook Live every day. Right. And I, I can see it like pains him because he's just not that guy. But it, but he's been consistent and he's kept doing it. So it's growing, you know, and that's, that's what it takes. So, um, you know, in business, these are the things that we have to do. I always have to, uh, to think about how, who can help my, uh, audience, my doctors and, and people in business to understand how powerful it can be to be your authentic self and to, and to bring it out on social media. So you can help so many people, which is definitely what you've done. All right. So I think it's like a resistance to change that people have that are used to doing something a certain way. And they're like, well, I'm not going to social media. What, what is that? It's like you said, people dancing on, on a video and it's really not what it is. You can reach a lot of people that way, specifically on TikTok, because you don't need followers to get views. Whereas Facebook and Instagram, you need people already following you to see your stuff for the most part. You know, I had no followers and I got a ton of views. And so I think try not to have that resistance to change and just realize that the world changes, the way we advertise changes, the way we reach people changes. And, and right now, and probably for the foreseeable future, it's online, it's on social media, on apps, specifically Instagram and TikTok. So. Like it or not, people. Get your butts. It has the absolute most organic growth, TikTok. Um, you want to throw yourself in some reels on Instagram, go ahead. That's the only way you'll have an opportunity to bust through um, anybody's feed because it's way overcrowded, just like Facebook. And, um, and this is the most organic place and it's free. Although yes, Perry, it is annoying that you have to edit your videos. Very time consuming. Very time consuming. <laughs> right. It's also, it's no longer $50,000 for a billboard to run for three months, right? That nobody's looking at anyway. No. <laughs> well, Perry, I'm so excited. So in January, everybody look out. I'm quite sure um, everybody, well, everybody that I know that's an attorney is going to know about Perry. That's for sure. Um, Because I I definitely think that we need more people that have practical lived experience um, with the credentials to back it up, to help, to help all of those that might be suffering with addiction, mental health issues. So Perry, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You rock. Now go make a TikTok with those adorable kids. Got you covered. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review or share it with somebody you know and care about that would benefit from listening. But more importantly, if you are thinking about advertising your business in the year 2021, 
Sponsoring a podcast is major. 44% of people pay more attention to advertising on podcasts than any other media. And 37% agree that advertising on a podcast is actually the best way to reach them. 70% have considered a new product or service after hearing an ad on a podcast. And I'm one of those people. And this is all according to Edison Research. Don't believe me, believe the research. So if you're interested in sponsoring, give us a shout.